0: Hello and welcome to the Relatable Homeschoolers podcast. We are four homeschooling mamas with a combined 32 years of experience homeschooling our 12 kids and our homeschools are anything but Pinterest perfect. Whether you are a veteran homeschooler, a new homeschooler, or just homeschool curious, we want to encourage you in your homeschooling journey and offer you practical tips and tools to make your homeschooling life easier. We're so glad you're here
1: everyone and welcome to one more episode of the Relatable Homeschoolers. Tonight we are tackling history, geography. How do we teach it? What do we teach? What have we done that's worked and what have we done that hasn't worked for our families? Harmony, I know that living books are near and dear to your heart. Can you share with us why?
0: Yeah, I think because as a kid growing up, I was just never attracted to textbooks. I found them to be difficult to engage with. And I was a big reader. So story really appealed to me. When I started exploring Charlotte Mason as a homeschool methodology, which is probably my core methodology, I was really captured by the idea of using living books a living book is simply written in a narrative way. So rather than reading little snippets in a textbook and then answering questions with just dry facts, you're getting a narrative that's unfolding as a story. So some of the books that we have used are Child's History of the World and Our Island Story, which is the History of Great Britain. And each chapter like tells a story about a particular time or centered on a certain person in history or a group of people and rolls that out in story form. And then of course, supplemented by biographies and other nonfiction works of all different kinds that support learning history and geography and learning about other cultures, even graphic novels and things like that. There's a cartoon book. It was, I think, my daughter's first graphic novel, Adventures in (laughs) Ancient Greece. And it was all comics. And she absolutely loved that. And she still talks about that. And I think we read that three years ago now, and it's still one of her favorites.
1: Lindsay, what do you guys do for history? It's really
0: changed a lot in the eight or nine years we've been
2: homeschooling. When we first started out homeschooling, we were part of a Classical Conversations group. Classical Conversations is a classical education, homeschool, I would call it group more than co-op, where there's one parent who's called the tutor, which is facilitating the classrooms. In the younger years, it's called the Foundations Program. A ton of the history is just done through memorization of these little short, maybe two or three sentence little tidbits about history. And it goes through, a cycle. At the time, there were three cycles, and I think that's still the same. And so my kids started off history. We weren't really learning any specific history at the time, except these little history sentences. They're usually set to music, which makes them really memorable. I remember when my daughter was four, if you asked her her favorite song, she would start singing the history sentence about William the Conqueror. And we all thought it was hilarious because what four-year-old really you know, knows about William the Conqueror? And of course, she had no context for it, but it was kind of putting that little peg in her memory of something to remember it by. And we still laugh about that to this day, but there's a lot of the history sentences that really stuck with us. So in the younger years, we just focused on learning those history sentences about either world history or American history. And then as my kids got a little older, we're big on the living books too. So we really like to read a lot of historical fiction. And so, you know, we kind of started off with Little House on the Prairie, some of those classics, and then some other historical novels as well. And now I would say we do a mix of history curriculum that's a little more textbooky with a mix of the living books built in with that for a world history story of the world by Susan Weisbauer is awesome there's four volumes that kind of break up world history we really liked that because it talks about what's going on in different periods of world history all over the globe. So I felt like I learned so much about ancient African and Asian history that I never learned in school. Really the only African history I remember from my school days is Egyptian history and maybe a little bit of Chinese history. So this really goes into a lot more depth. And this year, we're using a curriculum called Build Your Library, which utilizes some more textbook books. My oldest is doing Geography of the World, and my middle child is doing the first of two years of American history, so early American history. There's like a DK book of American history and a Smithsonian book of American history that are more of a textbook. But then we're reading a lot of other books to go along with it. And what I really like about our curriculum this year is that it's primarily from Indigenous and Black voices of early American history. So we've read books like Black Heroes of the Revolutionary War and we're reading a book called Jefferson's Sons right now, which is really interesting. And it's from the perspective of the children of Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, who was one of his enslaved women. So just really interesting and different perspectives that we're doing this year.
0: I want to come back around to something that Lindsay said that I think is really important important for new homeschool parents, which is the idea of cycles. And when we homeschool, we might be thinking if we're going to cover one period in history that we have to cover everything all at once. But typically we move through cycles more than one time because certain things are appropriate for different ages. And so you may cover ancient history in first grade and second grade, and then American history in third grade and modern history in fourth grade. But then you're going to cycle through those same history time periods again, as they get older. I've known people who've done, you know, ancient history three times, American history three times, once each at the elements elementary, middle and high school grade levels. And then each time you can go a little deeper, you can get into tougher topics, things that are more mature as your kids get older and do a deeper dive. So it doesn't have to be perfect or fully complete the first time around. You're going to come back to it. That's great because there are wonderful picture books for elementary school kids. There are biographies, you know, like Lindsay mentioned too, great historical fiction that's written for readers at each level. And you can capitalize on those things because you're going through the cycle more than one time.
2: Yeah, I think that's really important to mention too, because I know that especially as homeschool parents, sometimes we can fall into the trap of, oh, there's going to be gaps. We didn't cover whatever, but I know, especially with history and science, I always feel a little more relaxed about those because I know we're going to touch on these things multiple times. And like Harmony said, in greater depth. So I don't feel that pressure that we have to cover every single thing. Like for example, this is one of the first years that I'm using two separate history curriculums for my oldest two for lots of the last several years, we've done a curriculum that can be taught to kids who are within two grade ranges of each other. So that's worked out for us. But I just felt like my oldest needed something different this year. But each of their curriculums has about 40 to 50 books to read for the year. And about half of them are I'm to read to them or with them. And then the other ones are for them to read on their own. And it's just so much like I knew that I knew going into it, that we weren't going to read every single one. And it's just nice to know that I've because I've found most of the books used, I still bought the books so that in a couple years, if they're like, hey, I have nothing to read, I can pull one of those books off the shelf and they're revisiting that period of history again.
0: I actually had a conversation with a homeschool friend today and was saying, I bought too many books this year. And I said, wait, what am I saying? You can never have too many books. You just leave them lying around the house and eventually somebody will pick them up. So if you have extra books, that's not a bad thing. And that's called strewing. There's actually a term for it that unschoolers use for just leaving the books around. And if you're, kids are drawn to them, they'll pick them up.
3: We have used a couple different things for history throughout our homeschooling years. So when I first started homeschooling, I started early on. Once we were in first grade, I think we used my father's world curriculum. And so I think the first grade curriculum was more of a biblical history curriculum. And then we used the second grade and that was adventures in U.S. history. Third grade, we went on and that was more of a geography. It was like uh, countries and cultures. We had a fun year that year because another homeschooling family did the same program. And so we were learning about the different different... different countries and different cultures, and we would make food and just do crafts and activities that related to what we were learning about, which that always comes back to me as my favorite year. And then I think we did the one year after that, that started their main cycle for their history. But then after that is when we started attending our co-op and our co-op used Story of the World that Lindsay mentioned. So we went through all four years of Story of the World at our co-op. And what we would do for that is they are also offered on audio CD. So we would just listen. My whole family, even though my boys were younger and they weren't in the classes, they still listened to the CDs with us because we mostly listened in the car when we were road schooling, as they would call it. And then we would talk about it and then they would have their co-op class about it, where they got to color a picture or color their timeline piece and review what we had listened to. This year, because we just finished the four years last year, this year we are now doing not grass American History, and I'm doing high school curriculum for my oldest. And then my younger three are using the middle school curriculum. And that's more textbooks. So each unit is broken down to five days a week. I read it to them, and then they have little workbooks that they fill out usually like a crossword puzzle or a fill in the blank paper that reviews the material that we've read through.
1: This sounds also exciting. In our homeschool, I kind of have the same approach with history that I do with science. We explore it. And if we get on a topic or we have a question, dig out some resources. I like Harmony, like primary sources. And so I want to go as, as close to the source as possible and try and get multiple viewpoints. I'm kind of saving the rigorous study for history for the high school years. And then this year I'm helping a friend pull some curriculum together for her girls who happen to be freshman, sophomore, junior. And then the junior has been working like crazy and she'd like to graduate early. So then I put together her senior year for her just to get the credits that she was still needing. And so I put together my first draft of what I want my history curriculum to look like. And John noticed it. And I was like, it's stacks of books all around me and my legal pad and I'm making lists and I'm putting together stuff. He looked at me and he's like, you're having way too much fun with this. And I was like, I am. So what I did for them and what I plan to do for my own kids is Freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. I want four years of history. The first year, our North Dakota standards don't have a required social studies/slash history class. And so I asked my friend, Do I have your permission to pull one together for her? And she's like, Absolutely. So I pulled together an Indigenous Peoples course and got as many primary sources as I could get. I got books with conflicting viewpoints. And I said, she's going to have some tension. She's going to read through these books and go, wait a minute. That other said... And I want her to wrestle with that. Then I paired that with their literature, Indigenous writers, people who have written from an Indigenous perspective who are not of an Indigenous ancestry. And so I said, there's going to be some tension there. And so I paired the history with the literature and then I had them do copy work and she is copying Indigenous speeches. That's the Indigenous one. And then I did the same for world history, paired it with world literature, paired it with copy work of the great speeches worldwide. And then American history did the the same with American literature. And then I got to senior year and our state requires half a credit of constitutional government and then another half a credit of something. So some people take economics, that sort of thing. So I pulled together a women's studies course for her for that other half credit and again, went largely with primary sources. I've looked at a lot of different history curriculums and I just didn't find anything that I really loved for high school. And so I made my own. The girls like them. And their comment to their parents was, Annie gives us way more work, but it takes way less time than you know spending all day as they had been in school. This is their first year homeschooling and they're in high school. So they really didn't know what to expect as far as the curriculum goes, but they seem to be enjoying it. I had a blast putting it together.
3: Yeah, I will say with the curriculums that I use that, you know, our textbook curriculums, they also incorporate living books that you read as supplement to the textbooks. My daughter, because she's the highest end of the middle school, I'm also having her read the Birch Bar Cast series that Lindsay recommended to me for that perspective.
1: Written by Louise Erdrich. I would like to give a shout out. That's a North Dakota author right there.
0: National Book Award winner. But, yeah, she definitely Round won the National House, right? Book Award for the Roundhouse. Yeah, House. So yeah good. fantastic. Definitely for older readers. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah, But the Birch, um, but the Birch Park House.
0: House series for young yeah. readers. Yeah. So good.
1: You read The Night Watchman, Lindy?
0: I just started it on audio because
1: oh, you recommended it. <laughs> yeah. Your, your book, Crush, right? Your new Split book. Crush. Mountain. Oh. <laughs> I swooned I haven't swooned in 14 years I was dating my husband I swooned over wood mountain look out John good thing it's fiction that's right I was the same way as a teenager, though. This is a total aside, but I don't know. We'll go there. Other girls were getting those pop magazines, whatever they were called. I don't Mm -hmm. know what they were. And that New Kids on the Block on the Front and, you know, Jonathan Taylor Thomas and whoever else. I don't know. I never got into that. I was like, have you guys read Louis L'Amour? Like, Chick (laughs) Baudry, Now there's a man. Like, (laughs) tell Sackett. So, yeah, I've had a few literary crushes in my life.
0: So one other thing that we do for history that my girls really enjoy, my older daughter really enjoys, is a book of centuries. I know Lindsay said, you said your kids did not enjoy it. So I think it depends on personality, but you can buy all different kinds. I have a friend who has a fancy red leather covered one with gold tooled lettering on it. Looks like something out of someone's very fancy library. Ours is just a spiral bound and it's called a timeline book. So it's basically a blank book. Every page spread has room for a hundred years. So ours has just a simple timeline running across the middle and you can enter into it people and events, but you can also include if you study composers or artists, you can put them in there in their lifetimes or pieces of architecture or the discovery of the Rosetta Stone, anything that is pertinent to history and the arts that falls on a timeline. And what my eight-year-old has really loved about it is being able to open, you know, to a certain page spread and to go to enter something new and see what's already there and be able to make connections. Oh, this person lived at the same time as Monet and in, you know, the same country and those kinds of things and making those connections and they become visual. So especially I think for visual learners, that can be a big thing. And it's just been really fun. And you can buy sets of stickers. Rainbow Resources has stickers that then they can put a sticker in with a little image rather than just writing it. And that can also be fun because who doesn't like stickers, but then it becomes a resource to look back to. So as my five-year-old gets older, she's going to have her own book of centuries to fill out. I want to add on to thinking of
2: visual learners. We have used a lot of documentaries for history mm. learning in our homeschool. Um, my kids really like the series drive Through History. So we've done several of those. And then, you know, we'll just watch a random thing about ancient Egypt or about the Middle Ages. My daughter actually got on a really serious Black death kick a couple years ago. <laughs> she wanted to listen to that particular entry on the story of the world audio cds which heather mentioned and they are amazing we also mostly listened to them in the car and i loved it because it felt like it took something off my plate and i loved listening to them too and it was a great way to kill two birds with one stone because we had to be driving places anyway but josie just wanted to listen to the black death over and over she got super into it and i found uh, i think just like on youtube a short little 20 minute thing about the plague. And then we got really interested in the plague. And then you know, I've talked about the tuberculosis book that we did this year on a previous episode, but it's just really nice I think that we live in a time that, you know, we can really just follow our kids' interests and find if you have a kid who's a visual learner, or if you just have a a day that's like nobody is into the book that day or the reading, well, let's find a little video and watch that instead. There's so many options available to us for history that it doesn't have to look like the history that we had, especially if we went to a more traditional like public or private school where we all remember the textbook and it was kind of dry and there was a lot of date memorization. And now we just have so much more at our fingertips.
0: Yeah, I remember being in school and I always felt shorted on modern history because we spent so much time on colonialism and the Revolutionary War and even on the Civil War that by the time we got to the 20th century, we were like down to two months of school left and there just wasn't time for it. And so I love the idea of being able to not, only cover more countries and more world history, but also being able to divide up the American history and split it into maybe multiple years so that you can really deep dive into some of those subject areas or to follow their passions. I remember having a civil war obsession when I was a kid and going on a school trip to Gettysburg and just being blown away by that. So giving them opportunity if they want to follow a rabbit trail and just really deep dive into an area of history, there's no reason you can't do that. And there's no reason that you have to always start at the same point in the next cycle where you started the first time if you want to start at a different point in the history cycle you can so you have that freedom
1: to really figure out what's gonna work for them so my son i I believe i've mentioned it more than once on the podcast is a huge history buff and that's through no encouragement of his mother that's just where he wants to spend his time we were just at our local homeschool conference and they had a kid's track uh, with different courses and so my kids signed up for the history class i asked them when it was over like hey how did it go what did you guys think and henry was like well It was all North Dakota history. And I was like, oh, which is good, you know, because that's a requirement in our states that they have to learn North Dakota history. And so I said, oh, well, what did you learn about? And he's like, mom, I don't know. She asked a question about a battle in North Dakota. And then I said the Battle of Fort Hensler with Sitting Bull. And she had never heard of it. So I don't know what kind of history teacher she thinks she is. And I was like, oh my gosh. And that's another reason that I haven't done a formal history curriculum with them is because Henry would be annoyed that we only got this much. Henry wants the whole thing.
0: Easier to leave him alone and let him right. get the whole thing. And
1: then he can do he, it. He shares information with us, our librarian who fully supports my kids' passions and interests, and will set books aside just for them. And when the What Was D Day book came out, she set it aside for Henry, knowing how much he loves World War II history. And so Henry brought it home and he was reading through it. And he's like, Mom, they didn't talk about this and they didn't talk about that. And I don't know why they didn't even bring up so and so. He was the key to the whole landing. And he was just annoyed that they covered so little of it. The same with the Lewis and Clark book. Just 30 miles from us is Fort Mandan where Lewis and Clark overwintered on their way and also on their way back. We were out hiking there today and Henry said the same thing about one of the younger readers. For Lewis and Clark. Mom, they didn't cover all these important things. That's why I've kind of just left my hands off of history, letting them dig into what they want to learn about. I have two giant uh, maps on our walls, a U.S. map and a world map. I'm looking at them now. They've been written on and starred, lines drawn with routes. And I think just leaving up, you know, maps and a globe that they can reference and see and touch. And wow, it is a long way from our house to Harmony's house, you know, they can see that visually on a map. I am starting some geography with them just to give them some tools to interpret what they're seeing. We've done a map reading unit before just to kind of familiarize ourselves with maps and what we were seeing, but I'm going to formalize it a little bit with some geography coming up here.
0: I really have liked the simply charlotte mason geography units they use two main texts which i wish there were more updated versions of these but one is called material world and the other one is called hungry planet and it looks at real families in different countries and cities around the world hungry planet is what they eat on a weekly basis and how much money they spend on food it's amazing how much pop people drink in thoroughbred countries Ooh. um and then the other one material world the photographer took all their possessions out of their home and like put it in front of their dwelling so the you can see everything that they owned these books were done in the 80s so they're a little bit dated now but you still get a really good picture of what and probably to some degree in developing countries what life is still like and what people are still eating and consuming my girls find it fascinating because it's real people living real lives and then you also have map work the units come with map work and you get to look at the maps and you can pencil in the various places, bodies of water, as well as landmarks and cities and towns. And then also living books on the side. So especially some longer books, but some shorter books and they're multi-age. So you can do them as a family. I think, Lindsay, you were talking about something like this a little bit ago. Where yeah, you we are actually person.
2: using um, both of those books are part of Connor's geography curriculum okay. this year.
0: Yeah, it uses also living books, picture books, as well as chapter books to bring in the literature piece that connects. You can find ways to tie that into with your history studies. Another thing that we
2: did this year or this past year, I guess, in particular is a lot of current events because I mean, we're living in history right now, especially, I mean, it was a presidential election year, COVID. There was a (laughs) lot going on, some really historical weather and natural disasters. And I try to make room for that as well. So sometimes we'll take a break from our history lessons just to kind of focus on things that are going on. We were using a book that I added to our morning time routine. It's an Usborne book, and it's about politics and government. So they talk about how politics and governments even arose, why we chose to form governments and um, nations and things like that, and then about the different types of governments in the world, and then specifically how um, democracies and democratic republics work. So that was really fun to do leading up to the election. And then another thing we do too is we listen to this little podcast. It's just a few minutes long every day, called Kid News. They just have a couple little current event stories. I know. CNN 10 is another kids news type of I think that one might be video The one we do is just audio kid news. And it just talks about like some little current events going on. We can talk about what's going on currently in the world. I remember it's funny now because we're approaching one year since COVID really blew up in the US. And I remember, you know, those first couple weeks, just like sitting around with the kids because we were in a pretty significant shutdown. And just talking to them like, you guys are going to read about this in history books one day. And like, you're going to tell your grandkids kids about what it was like to have to stay home. I actually just saw a meme that I wasn't sure if I should laugh or cry, but it said, what are you going to wear to the one year anniversary (laughs) of the 14 days to flatten the curve?
3: I, I saw like, that too no. I laughed <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's true
2: you know so I think that it's important for our kids obviously to learn history I totally believe that if we don't learn from it we're doomed to repeat it especially the bad parts it seems like we never get to repeat the good parts that we don't learn from it's always the bad but it's important to learn about and think about what's going on right now too and how that relates back to mm-hmm. things that happened in the past it
0: looks like there are actually several podcasts that cover news for kids so there's a whole variety to pick from I didn't even realize these existed until you
2: just no, said
3: neither did I I totally wrote it down I was like that's a great idea yeah, yeah it
2: takes up about 10 minutes of our morning time every day and actually on the kid news one there's always a little news quiz at the end that they give too so that's my kid's favorite part they love the quiz I think, One thing that has kind of come out of our conversation today is that there's so many different things you can do. Maybe it might take some time to see what works for your family. And also, as all of us have stated, you use what works for your family, but what works for your family might change at different periods of time. Maybe you are going to a lot of activities. So audiobooks are great. Maybe you're stuck at home in a quarantine. So you're reading a lot of read-alouds. And I know Harmony briefly mentioned graphic novels earlier, but I just feel like the resurgence of graphic novels right now is so huge a couple really awesome history ones are the Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales series. My kids have really liked those. And then also John Lewis, the former congressman, has a series called March. And it's all about the civil rights movement. And I think there's three in that graphic novel series. So if you have some kids who like graphic novels, you know, like just make it fun. It doesn't always have to be drudgery. It shouldn't be. We have the ability to change it up and make it fun. So we should.
3: And because history is one of those things that we cycle through, you can use different things different times that you go through each period of history like I'm not going to Mm -hmm. use the same American history curriculum that I used in elementary that I'm going to use in high school
1: well we always end our podcast episodes with asking the question what is saving your homeschool Heather what is saving your homeschool
3: well it's February Mm. in Michigan so my happy light and hot coffee is saving my homeschool right now (laughs) (laughs) Because it is gray. It is freezing. It is dreary. My morning time with hot coffee and my happy light. And I will say there are multiple cups of hot coffee going on throughout the day, but
1: it's needed and it's a season. Lindsay, what's saving your homeschool?
2: I feel like such a brat saying this after Heather's comment, but I was (laughs) going to say uh, today, (laughs) south of Nashville, it was almost 60 and sunny. So I would say like time outside right now is saving our homeschool in general. Although, so I have to say last week we had a quote unquote historic for this area, ice and snowstorm. So we did get two and a half inches of ice. It was pretty insane. And then on top of that, about four inches of snow. And this area is not equipped to deal with that. I talked to some people in the store after we had to stay home for a whole week. We didn't even get mail last week. It was pretty serious. I mean, they're just not prepared because they don't get that kind of weather. The clerks at the store said they hadn't seen this much snow in 10 years, which the Michigan and me it like made me laugh so I was like this is like four inches of snow it shut down the city today it was 60 and sunny and the schools were still closed because they're still cleaning up the roads a week later so that's what you're dealing with but we have a pretty flat yard but we found this one area of the yard right by our deck is actually slightly sloped so on all the ice and snow we made a little tubing hill it was very fun the whole family participated so we had some ice and snow fun time this week and we built igloos in the yard and then today it was all melted and it was 65. And my kids were at the park with their shoes and socks off, running around barefoot, and everyone around here had coats on, and it was hilarious. They looked like they were crazy people, but just being outside has been so nice.
0: That's definitely, definitely one of the benefits.
3: (sighs) Yeah. Sorry, Northerners. (laughs) There's so much snow on the ground out there. I'm not going to see the grass until at least another month.
0: Well, I'm three hours west of Lindsay. And so we had the same storm. It was probably a good six inches of snow for us. We didn't get as much ice. We got more snow. My girls built a snowman. It was the first snowman they've ever built because we've lived here since my oldest was two. Prior to that, we were in Virginia and we got snow there, but it was always very little. So they've never really lived in Michigan, where my husband and I grew up. So it was a big treat for them. And they were sad to see it go. But yeah, today 60 and sunny and everything is melted. But yes, the entire city will shut down because there just isn't the equipment and no one can do anything. So yeah, we had the same thing. No mail in the trash. That's was crazy. Ooh. So I think what is saving my homeschool right now is actually sort of a mid-year reread of some encouraging books. I feel like I'm hitting my January slump right now where I'm sort of like, I'm kind of tired of this. I'm ready to start thinking about what we're doing next year, <laughs> even though I still have half a year to get through, but also just kind of going, what is working and what is not? And so I've just been rereading um, actually a magazine that I subscribe to Commonplace Quarterly. It's a Charlotte Mason based magazine, but lots of encouragement and hand watercolored pages. And so it's a beautiful magazine as well as being an encouraging magazine. And then also just rereading some basic homeschooling books that I really like it sort of gives me a boost and re-inspiration to sort of inject new life into the things we've been doing because it can get to feel wrote after a while. And so I was like, let's shake up the routine a little bit and change when we're doing some of our things during the day to kind of just give it a boost. And that's been uplifting for me as well as for the girls.
1: Well, I would like to say that uh, you all have inspired me, and I went and spent some time finding weeks we can take off, inspired by Lindsay. My kids work hard in their school, and they work hard on the firemen, so I thought we need to take some weeks off. So last week was our first week off, and actually coincided with our homeschool conference, and so it was good to just not have pressure on me or pressure on the kids to get some schoolwork done. They did spend two days in sessions with art and science and history, and so they did do Quite a bit of learning, but not at my direction. So I went through the rest of the year and sketched out... Because we school year-round, so I sketched out four to six weeks of school, and then we take a break for a week, and then we do another four to six weeks kind of coincides and when we have things going on and when we have a vacation planned and so I had Eleanor my youngest sit down and put those weeks on the calendar today she was full of glee to write no school so what I'm going to do with those is stick in some of those craft projects art projects that paper making I've been wanting to do for a couple of years but have not done it just because it takes time and so that's what we're going to do in those weeks and what is saving my homeschool is a woman in my book club is a professional photographer. She specializes in lifestyle photography. She is also a homeschool mom and she offered to take homeschool school photos of our kids. So I took my kids down last week and they all got to pose in front of her black backdrop. It wasn't the cheesy school photos. You know, she got to know the kids and she made them laugh and I'm really excited to see the photos. It's one of the things that you don't get, right, as a homeschool mom. I didn't get formal portraits of my children. Thank you all for joining us tonight as we talked history and geography and what works and what we've tried and what we've enjoyed. Join us next time.
0: You've been listening to the Relatable Homeschoolers podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You can find links to all the books and resources we mention on the show at our website, therelatablehomeschoolers.com. We would love to hear your homeschooling questions. You can email us at therelatablehomeschoolers at gmail.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at therelatablehomeschoolers. Homeschoolers. We'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review for us on iTunes. It only takes a minute and we'll ensure more homeschooling mamas get to hear our show. We'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, happy homeschooling schooling.